It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh my mama. Oh my mama made it, man. Anything's yeah. possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth you probably should pay him but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Melis. Hey there, and welcome to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am John Corrales, here today by myself, giving Jay King and Sam Packard the day off. Celtics had the day off after that huge win, getting ready to play three games in four nights. What we're going to do today is talk a little bit of the collective bargaining agreement. The league... The owners today ratified it. The players still have to. They came to this agreement, a new collective bargaining agreement, which is going to set the rules for how trades are, are going to work, free agents, how much money they get. Lots to get to. I know we've heard a lot of stories. What we're going to do, we're going to get to Eric Pincus, who is the capologist for BasketballInsiders.com. He's also the lead Lakers writer for Bleacher Report. Eric has done some fantastic work covering this new collective bargaining agreement. He's gotten his hands on the term sheet for the uh, collective bargaining agreement. So he knows all of the things that have been agreed to. There's still some stuff to be hammered out, but there are things like the designated veterans exception that we've all heard about. There's changes in how non-guaranteed money is handled. There are changes in this Max, how much max guys can get, how many years they can get, extensions are changing, how restricted free agents are changing, the value of draft picks is changing. So much that affects the Celtics and their pursuit of free agents or their pursuit of building a championship team. So with that, let's welcome in Eric Pincus. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010, select styles only. Okay, Eric, thank you for joining us. I uh, appreciate you taking the time after all of your busy reporting on uh, on this uh, new CBA. So, well, no, of course, happy to do it. Uh, Ready to talk something. You've you've been you've done some great reporting on this. You've gotten your hands on the terms uh, of the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, which means that uh, we we have now a new playing field. So let's start with the big changes for the the new collective bargaining agreement as you see them well uh the first disclaimer is that there's a there's a term sheet it's not the actual agreement yet and that that hasn't been written they're they're writing it and they'll have it together by mid january and and then we'll have the rules uh, that are 100 percent in stone right now we have an idea of them there's an agreement and uh, i've been digesting them for the last few days and and one big change, uh, I mean, there's many of them, but one in particular uh, jumps out is that they're changing the way that you can trade non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed contracts. And, you know, if we're talking about the Celtics, that's that's an area they've been creative in. For instance, uh, Tyler Zeller 
has a second year. He has a two-year deal. He has an $8 million, and the second year is $8 million non-guaranteed. Now, his stuff will be grandfathered in. It won't change in the new deal, but contracts like that in the future, starting next year, starting this summer, really, uh, that $8 million non-guaranteed, he would actually get credited for the Celtics if they traded him as $0 going out in a trade, and the incoming team it would count as $8 million coming in. So that's unbalanced. And it's almost like a poison pill type of thing. And so what they've done is they've really taken away these non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed. Let's say he had $1 million guaranteed, then he would be $1 million going out for the Celtics. That that's still the same problem. And so they've taken the teeth out of what has been a, a form of currency in the NBA for the last few years, especially under this deal where a lot of teams sign. Uh, and we saw the Celtics do this last year with Amir Johnson and uh, Jonas Jarebko, they, they had a second year, same kind of idea. And it's the, you're signing them with the notion of having them as available as a trade asset because you can trade them to a team, they can cut them right away. And that team is able to just dump, let's say, $10, $15 million in salary right away, cut the player, boom, they save money. That's going away. So that's a tool that teams have really gotten used to using. They won't have anymore. That That's a favorite move for Danny Ainge. He's done that a lot. And I think he's structured. Now, that's not going to affect the current contracts as they're structured. But moving forward, he won't be right. able to say, I'm going to sign player X for $10 million, $2 million's guaranteed, and the rest gets uh, guaranteed on March 1st or whatever, however it's structured. Right. That is something that he... Right, that goes away. That goes away. So... Right. Now, you could still sign them to that. But you would be signing to that, that a player to that for your own purposes, where let's say that they're not sure if they want to keep Zeller long term and they want him to earn his second year at eight million dollars. Uh, and again, he he doesn't apply; he's grandfathered in. But the idea of it is, uh, yeah, teams might still do this for their own purposes, but you're not going to do it as a form of trade. And and, and one player that you can think of recently, um, a few years ago, Luke Ridnour got traded like three times in the off season. Cause his contract wasn't guaranteed. I think we had something similar to Quentin Richardson. I forget the details of that. If his, if it was the same thing, I know he got traded like three or four or five times in the summer. And that's kind of, you know, kind of an ugly thing. As far as the league's concerned, they don't want to see a player being passed around like that. That's not the, 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 ideal behind what what they're trying to achieve here so they've taken that tool away and and what that does is it takes away uh, uh something that made trades more feasible and more easy to make because sometimes you need that salary salary ballast just to make a deal go through and without that and you look at the the cavaliers how they acquired kevin love they traded out andrew wiggins but they had to get a bunch of non-guaranteed players that they packaged and then they had to wait a period of a waiting period but that's how they got that deal done to get Kevin Love. All that goes away in this new deal. So that's going to make trading more difficult. Let, let's look yes. at I'm, – I'm looking at this from a Celtics perspective, but there's a lot that affects everybody in the league. There's this designation now that will exist for veteran players that allows them to get paid a lot of money. Uh, can you explain what that scenario sure. is? Okay, this is so there, there's already something that went in in the last collective bargaining agreement. So 2011, uh, there was the designated rookie extension. And so what that did is enabled players like Kyrie Irving and, and some others, Anthony Davis, although it didn't work out for Anthony Davis, but to get a, a major extension, but they're, they're at a higher rate. So basically, there are three tiers of max. And this so is the so-called max- Rose rule, right? Right, right. This is the Rose Rule. And, and what I'm explaining applies very much so to this new rule as well. So there's three tiers of max salary, right? So in this new deal, I, I, I'm not looking at the numbers, but let's say it's like 25. I'll round down. So let's just make it easy. 25, 30, and 35 million, let's say. Okay, so if you're in the league for under six years, 30 million, or 25 million, if you're in between seven and nine, it's 30 million. And if you're in the league for 10 years or more, it's 35 million. And those are not real numbers, but they're close to it. And so what that would do for the that those the guys on the rookie scale is that they would be able to jump up a level and instead of getting the 25 million they'd be able to get the 30 million what this is doing is extending that for veterans who are in that middle bracket it really who have eight or nine years of experience to get paid that 10 million dollar level so instead of getting paid 30 million they're going to be able to be paid 35 million 
but it can only be with their existing team. They have to have been with that team either for their entire career or traded in the first four years of their contract. So it's a way of giving, so someone like Stephen Curry, he'd be eligible for this. And, and to make this qualification, there's very narrow bands of, for both, for, for the rookie one, as well as the um, veteran one, where you have to either be a league MVP, you have to be a defensive player of the year, uh, you have to be an all NBA team a certain number of times. And there's all kinds of specific timing on it. So it might not apply to many people. So really, it's a unique thing. And where it applies to is going to be a very small set of the elite players. So what that does, is it makes it really just a little bit harder when players come up after their rookie contract. So they're a rookie, they sign an extension. Now they, their extension's up. And this is usually where they leave if they want to leave. Now they, their team, if they're a top player in the league, they have a, a fiscal advantage that no one else can match to keep them. And that's going to be really hard. For Steph Curry is not leaving Golden State anyway, but even so, they can pay him more than everyone else, and that's a significant change. So it's going to be harder for, if you're taking a Celtics point of view, it's going to be harder for the Celtics to get Al Horford. Although, Al, I'd have to look at the math on that, but uh, moves like that are harder. You're you're not going to see the top stars, but was Al Horford an all-NBA guy? Was he a defensive player of the year? He probably wouldn't have qualified. But there's a very small group that would you're unlikely to get those players anyway. Now you're just that much more unlikely, but I, I got to say that as significant as that, I mean, that's kind of a sexy topic and it's like neat to hear. It doesn't apply to a lot of players, but what does apply to these top players similar to, I, I guess this, this would have kept Kevin Durant most likely in Oklahoma city is that teams can now give longer extensions. That has nothing to do with this Rose rule or designated veteran ex- extension they can just give longer deals and they can give them a, a raise and an extension up to a, up to 120 percent of what they're making the previous year you just multiply it times 1.2 whereas the way it's been in the past it was only a 7.5 percent bump and so the problem there is that players couldn't get market value in an extension so kevin durant probably would have signed an extension if the thunder could have given it to him but they legally by the rules couldn't the, the last the, the current cba that we have now really screwed that up and that's why he's not once the guy gets to free agency yeah maybe they're going to leave but if there's so much incentive a year before free agency for a guy to stick around and that's what they've increased so it's going to be i don't know if this veteran designated player is going to be such a big deal other than the elite stars but it's it's the next extension where a guy like i mean blake griffin or or whoever these guys can sign these extensions for a long period of time and maybe we see less movement of free agents. And we already discussed that maybe there's going to be less movement via trade because of how they've restricted it with these contracts. It's getting harder and harder and harder to pry those top players away. It's like a, you get a, you get a superstar. You're going to be able to hold on to that player for a long time. Right. So let's, let's look at the net effect here and let's, let's try to boil this down because there's a lot of information to digest here. The stars, yes, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest stars. Now, this is this is crazy because we're all trying to figure this out, and I am thankful for people like you that can take it from the contractual level down to it's almost like a, a conveyor belt. You take it from the top and bring <laughs> it to a place like me that, like, oh, okay, you you explain that to me, and then we'll further break it down to try to get some real world examples to really get to the heart of this. Which Absolutely. is which is great. Absolutely. So, and I'm of course again looking at this from the Celtics slant. We're we're trying to build a team here, and this applies to everybody. But this had the 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 ripple effect is going to be great. The designated veteran thing keeps the the biggest of the big stars in place generally, and this all seems to be kind of a reaction to the super team. We they they the league has never wanted a big concentration of talent in one place. And I'm sure the Golden State situation has kind of exacerbated the the thinking behind some of these things. So the big stars like Durant moving that that very likely wouldn't happen because of the designated veteran thing. He, he would have gotten yeah. a significant bump. On top of that, how long? What's the change in length of contract that the team can offer its own free agent as opposed to? Uh, a team like the Celtics trying to lure, like Blake Griffin. What can what can uh, 
the Clippers offer Blake Griffin under this new deal, and what could the Celtics offer in this new deal? Well, the years haven't changed in in the new deal to what is in place. It's really the same. It's five years uh, or four years. So it's five years to stay and it's four years. The difference is, is that the extension now can be five years. So before they hit free agency, they can sign a five-year deal. Previously, it was four. So if you have a player that's extending, they can only extend for four, which is the same as going to free agency and another team signing for four. So you might as well wait. And then at that point, you either sign for five or you go somewhere else for four. But there's no reason to stay for four. Okay. Because so it was, now, wasn't the right amount of money. Right. right. So now the team that's trying to keep its own free agent has that extra year to play with in an extension. Right. So, They've always had – I mean, that's, that's an old thing in the, in the NBA where you get one extra year. I don't think one extra year is the reason why someone doesn't come or stays. I don't think that's the most significant thing when it comes to free agency. But if you can get it in an extension a year ahead of time, I think it becomes more significant to get that year locked in. Now you're set. Whereas if you hit free agency, you know, we've seen DeAndre Jordan. Uh, he took, he took a, a shorter deal, which had to do with timing. Uh, the, the, the one, okay. So we've already said rookie contracts, they're going to resign. Now we've got, we're talking about guys in the eight to nine range. They're going to resign most likely. Now you, they're finally in free agency. Some of them are going to try to time it to be 10. 10 years so they can get to that point where they get that top Remember, We said there were three tiers. So there was like 25, 30 and 35, right? So now they want to get to that 35 level. So they time their free agency. So that's when players become available. The problem there is that if a guy comes in the league at let's say 20 and now they're playing 10 years and now they're free agent, you're getting a star, but you're getting them at 30. And yeah, maybe they come in at 18 and they're getting the 28, but you're not going to be able to get most likely a guy in, in their prime, unless you're able to draft them or sign them when they're undiscovered and develop them into that. Okay. So the luring of free agents from their teams is going to be more difficult under the new terms. To a degree. Yes. To a right. degree. Because of the extensions, right? Once right. a guy hits free agency, I think that it, it's, it's much more of a fair fight. There's slightly different. There's a slight difference in raises year to year. There's obviously the extra year, but if a guy is expecting to sign another contract, if a guy signs for three years or four years and they are very confident that they'll stay healthy and they'll sign another contract in, for another five years after that, it, I don't know if that extra year makes a difference. In some, some cases it will, in some cases it won't, and we've seen players leave without worrying about it. I mean, Durant left without worrying about the years. He went to where he wanted to go. So I don't know if that's the deciding factor. So it's still possible to get players. And again, you, you asked about Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin, he's hurt right now. He needs to make an all-NBA team to qualify for the designated veteran exception, right? Uh, extension, rather. So if he doesn't make all-NBA, and given that he's hurt right now, he's going to be out for four weeks, maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks. Who knows how long? But let's say he's out for six weeks. That hurts his case. And the Clippers, they start out really well, but they haven't been doing as well. And, and if they play really well without him, which I think they will, not that he's not uh, one of the best players in the league, but I think they're going to do fine without him. I don't know if he's going to make an all-NBA team, in which case he's not going to be eligible, and he can opt out of his contract after this season and hit free agency, which he will because he can stand to make a lot more money. Uh, he's eligible for about the $30 million mark. He's just not going to be able to qualify for that $35 million special veteran, veteran uh, <laughs> designated player. So now the Celtics approach him. A bunch of other teams approach him, say, come here. We have a ton of money. You offer him the most amount of money. You're, you're in a relatively fair fight, except you can't offer the 50 year and you can't offer bigger raises, but I don't think that's that big of a deal. We've seen players through history leave on that. So if there's someone who is, I don't want to say is likely to leave. I don't know if Blake is likely to leave, right, but right, right. someone who you can make an argument to say, could he leave? Yeah. He's going to be in a position where it makes sense, where if he doesn't like where he is, and he may love it and want to stay and stays and is happy, but he may want to leave, and if he does want to leave, I don't think the extra year that the Clippers can offer is the reason why he stays. Okay, so the, the, that's basically the pursuit of free agents. Um, the, I know there was some talk about how restricted free agents would be handled. So the Celtics, in trying to figure out what they'll – uh, do moving forward, 
one guy on the team that, that could have to stay or go, Kelly Olynyk. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, his qualifying offer next year is just under $4.3 million. Uh, what's the cap hold? It's like seven for him. Yeah, so, right. It's seven point seven. The cap holds will right. They'll go up the cap holds, but the cap holds for someone like in his situation won't go up until 2018. So there's like one year grace period where Olenek would be more expensive uh, if the rule kicked in right away, but it, it doesn't. So yeah, he's a restricted free agent, and then it's just a question uh, of whether or not uh, he wants to stay or if he gets a good offer. But what's interesting is that they reduced the waiting period just by 24 hours. That's really the only thing that's changed. They made it so you, the, the, the offer sheets, they didn't really make any, there was some talk about offer sheets changing timing, but it, really it's just 20, uh, 48 hours you have. And so there's not a huge change in, for, in restricted free agency. There were some rumors that there would be more changes, but uh, as far as the agreement, there, there isn't anything in there that's really dramatically different. So as of right now, Danny Ainge could still say, we're going to, we're going to play the waiting game with Olenek, make him the qualifying offer, and say they're they're going to have twenty somewhere in the high twenty million dollar range to start spending money. Um, they can still spend whatever cap space they have while waiting on Olenek. That's not going to change, right? That I'd heard some rumors well, that he takes up he takes some space. A restricted free agent takes up your cap space while you – now, what you can do is you can rescind the offer. And there was some talk that they would make it so that they, an offer could not be unilaterally rescinded so that a team couldn't just say, you know what, never mind. And then that happens. You see that happen. I know it, I think it happened with Courtney Lee a couple of years back. It's happened with a, a number of players. It happened with Deion Waiters this year uh, where a team basically says, uh, we need the cap room, so we're pulling the offer. So Jared the Sullivan. deadline used to be – Right. That, the, the deadline used to be July 23rd. That's been moved up 10 days to July 13th. So some people thought that would go away altogether. There were rumors, et cetera, but no, that, that, so that they have basically, if free agency starts July 1st and you can start signing guys, what was it? The six or something like that. They have a week to, to, to get their ducks in a row, so to speak. And then if they need to pull the offer for Olenek, they have a week to get everything together. They can pull their offer say, never mind. Of course, he could take the offer and accept it in that week as well if he so decides to do so. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a game. You know, it's a game played by the agents. It's a game played by the teams. It's a, some of it's about communication and guys are working together to make deals happen. And you can look at what the Celtics have done. The Zeller deal, the Amir deal, uh, the Drebko deal, those were very team-friendly deals. So clearly, the Celtics have good relationships with some agents. And the thing is, is that it doesn't matter how good your relationship is. If you end up on the opposite sides of a situation, all the goodwill you have is going to go out the window sometimes when it, when, if they have to advocate for their client and it becomes that kind of relationship. So uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. So the Celtics won't be able to do what they did with Sullinger, which is wait till the end of July. They'll have to do, if they did that with a Linux, let's say it would be the middle of July, which would give the free agent more time to be, available in the thick of free agency as opposed to everybody having spent all their money and now having to accept a deal somewhere at the end of July that they might not have uh, wanted or might be less than they would have gotten two weeks earlier. So that's a very Theoretically, yes. player friendly. Yeah. I, I think it's not enough. I think, I don't think the players got enough on that. I mean, I, I it, it, it helped it, it improved, but still by January, there's not going to be that many teams that have all this massive amount of cap room this summer. It's, it's, you know, I just wrote on basketball insiders. I projected uh, for the 30 teams. And, and this last, this last year we had something like 25, 27 teams with cap room starting. The starting point is roughly about 20 that are in the cap. And a lot of them don't even have enough cap room for one max, let alone two maxes. So there's not going to be a ton of money for like a Kelly Olenek. He, to me, is a guy who will be looking to get some, uh, a team's mid-level exception of eight and a half, roughly eight and a half million dollars. So, to me, that's the market for any high-level, any player who's a borderline starter or bench player who, who's a rotation player who can play and has upside. I really feel like the market's going to be eight and a half, and for the team to keep them, they're probably going to have to go over that eight and a half, probably in the ten to ten to eleven and a half million dollar range to keep a player like that. Maybe, maybe nine, but. Depends on how hard they fight. 
Could the Celtics theoretically make him a free agent with a wink-wink deal to say, uh, we need to – because I saw, I saw the piece that you wrote, and that opened up uh, somewhere around $32 million, I want to say, for, for the Celtics if they just dropped everybody. And the maximum, right. the maximum space, which would be enough to go to a Blake Griffin, like you said, and say, here's $30 million, here's your starting point, and you have a couple million left over. Could the Celtics, with a Linux, say, hey, we think your, your value is at $8.5 million. That's the new mid-level exception. Could they make him a free agent and then re-sign him using that exception? No, they can, they can, they can make him a free agent and use cap room. Um, they could renounce him outright. I don't know the true advantage. Okay, so we'd have to look at what his cap hold is, and uh, that's really the number that you go off of. And, and I can pull it up right here. It's, it's uh, seven point seven million. So he takes up seven seven. So if if they're going to pay him eight five, then they're better off saying, okay, let's just wait. We'll resign you for eight and a half. Stay on our books as seven seven, and let us find other players, and then it'll give them an extra 800,000 in cap room if that's the path they're going to take. But if you renounce him or basically pull his offer and say you're unrestricted, then he could go somewhere else, probably does. But even if he does to say agree to stay, now you need 8 and a half million dollars to pay him whereas before he took up 7.7, so it's actually more expensive to let him go that way than it is to hold on to him. Okay, so you can't use the exception to to pay him that way. Well, if you if you go under the cap, you don't have the exception. That's the thing. What I'm saying, an is exception is they they let's pretend they've signed. I mean, they're they're taking that thirty million. They've signed Blake Griffin or somebody. Then they've spent to go over the cap, and then they use that exception to sign a Linux. Is that like a game? Right, that they but what play? exception? See which exception you're talking about. The eight and a half million dollars. Yeah. That that is an exception that is only granted to teams that are over the cap. So the 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 mid-level, what you, the first thing you do when you go under the cap is you renounce that exception. You don't have it. Right. So it's gone. Got it. Okay. Now, so that's the mechanism. Yeah. Okay. See, that's – okay. That's fair enough. It's something that could come up. Like those are the types of questions you're like, oh, okay. So if he's worth $8.5 we have an exception. But when you go under, you lose that exception. That's a thing. Right. Okay. Now they can hold on to his rights and go under the cap, renounce their mid-level, have 7.7 of a Linux on their books – then pay him eight and a half, no problem. But he takes up 7.7 million. And so now if they had 32, now they're down to 24, 25 ish. And if you are going after a Blake Griffin, now you don't have enough money. You got to find a way to open up other money. And that's the thing is that teams can make trades. uh, Teams can make other moves to open up space. And they do. We saw that with the Warriors. They didn't have enough room to get Kevin Durant, but they moved uh, Andrew Bogut. They let go of Festus Azili. Uh, they let go of Harrison Barnes, et cetera, et cetera. So there are other moves that can be made, and, and it's not prohibitive. Um, and, of, and, of course, the, the Celtics have the rights to Yabaselli and Zizic, two yep. guys that are playing overseas. If They would need to get a letter signed by uh, those players to say that we're staying overseas. Otherwise, those guys take up some space, too. So the, it's, there's so many moving parts. And, and the Celtics are very adept at handling all that. They, they know what they're up against, and they know what they have to do. So they'll probably get those letters, and then they'll probably have an option of where they bring those players over if they don't if they don't need the cap room. So, lots lots of balls in the air. Yeah. So, the the net effect here for Boston is they can't sign a max free agent and keep Kelly Olynyk. Not without opening up some space. Without a, without a subsequent move that would trade out some of the sp- and open up some space. Well, I mean, if you're going after okay, so let's say they were going after Nerlens Noel. That's a different story because he is less expensive because he doesn't have uh, seven through eight years in the league. He's at that first tier. So whereas Griffin would be closer to 30, Noel would be closer to 25, 26 in that range. So now you're right. Well, Hayward, similarly, uh, I think Hayward is a little, I think he's been in the league longer. I think he's in the middle tier. And Hayward is certainly a guy who has a relationship with Brad Stevens but looking at his contract real quick, his, his years of service, Gordon Hayward's been in the league six years, so he's going into his seventh. So he's in that middle tier with Blake Griffin. Oh, so he did get into that middle tier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whew, man. Okay. 
<laughs> uh, yes. There's so many things you have to track. You just can't. It's, 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 it's all these little details. And it's the teams that really know the details that are ahead of the curve. You, you also, you can't just know details. You also have to have vision. So, right. Uh, I a lot to think about. So, okay. So let's recap a little bit before we move forward. The designated thing helps the guys who are established and who have met certain criteria that are basically the most awesome players in the world. Those guys can get a lot more money and, and get bumped up and, and whatever. Meanwhile, players can um, still uh, get the so players can get longer extensions now with their own teams. That one extra year with their own teams, so that hurts the chances of of players moving. That's another big thing. Uh, and the restricted free agent waiting period has changed a little bit, so we've got that uh, rookie scale. That is changing as well. So everybody's basically getting a raise with the rookies. Kind of. Well, if you think about it, the players are getting 51-ish percent of the income that comes in to the NBA, right? So if if that's set and is fixed, and if the max players are getting more, and if the young players, the minimum guys are getting more, and the rookies are getting more, someone has to get less, right? Because otherwise there wouldn't be balance. If everybody is getting more... That means they're getting a bigger piece of the pie, but they're not getting a bigger piece of the pie. So it's kind of those middle tier guys. We talked about Olenek being about eight and a half. Last year, he was probably like a $15 million guy or a $17 million guy. Right. This is kind of where I was going with this. Right. I don't think there are any more. The market that people said, oh, that's just the going rate. In my mind, it's not the going rate. There might be a few, some this summer because there are some teams that have some spending power, but. I think last year will be an anomaly, and there's a lot of teams that pay guys money. They never should have paid them, and congrats to those players for getting that, and uh, I'm happy for them. I mean, this certainly can't knock them for taking the money that was available. Yeah, so I, you put this in your latest piece. The days of, of Mozgov going out there getting $15 million, that that seems to be done because it's, it's the middle that middle tier, and I think that was uh, – a big push when you looked at how much money these guys were getting, Biombo, uh, Mozgov, th- those guys, Evan Turner, Alan Crab, oh, Tyler yeah. Johnson, guys who were just not proven yet. Solomon Hill. I mean, it, the range is eleven to twenty million. Guys got paid so much money that they hadn't earned yet, and the system was broken in last year. It, it did not work last year. It was failed this year, this last year. But I think it's been corrected, and I think it was going to correct itself anyway just by how the, the system was, is self-correcting. It just had a really bad year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I, <laughs> as far as, like, the rookie first, first round picks are getting paid more. They're going to take up more cap room. Uh, and so that's going to reduce the amount of cap room that teams have. Minimum guys are going to take more cap room as well because the minimum went up. In fact, guys who are on rosters who are getting, un, you know, uh, who, are, who are being paid under what is now the h- higher minimum will get bumped up as well as rookies. There's some rookies like uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson and uh, Larry Nance Jr., first rounders who are going to get little bumps in pay because their scale, based on the rules of this deal, don't work with the next deal. They don't get enough. So by teams getting, by, by the teams having to pay more for these lower paid guys, then, and they're going to probably pay more for their max guys, now there's, less money and that's why that the market's correcting itself and really all those guys who got 17 15 million dollars last year should have been in the 8 to 10 12 million dollar range that's it used to be like the best point guards in the league outside of the top top all-stars like the Ty Lawson's when he was very good uh we're talking like 12 million dollars 10 million dollars that was the going rate now it's like max Reggie Jackson's and everything it's crazy guys get paid too much yes Yes, the Evan Turner contract I think might be the to me again. He's to see what he got to leave Boston. <laughs> you know, we've we've been talking about how it would have been nice to have had him around. Some some of the things that he did, the Celtics are missing. But <laughs> at that money, it's like see ya, have fun over there, buddy. But maybe he yeah. would have been retained if it was reasonable money. And now we're getting yeah, back the, to the days of reasonable money yeah. for those guys. Yeah, he's a, he's someone who should be getting paid 
at, at most in the eight and a half to $10 million range. I mean, that's a reasonable amount of contract. That's it's, it, he's a, he's a guy who is probably your best, best served as a six man. Uh, I love the role he played on the Celtics last year. They're trying that they, they signed him in Portland with that idea in mind that he would basically be the second unit's point guard. Uh, I don't know if he understood that. And I think he thought he was starting, but uh, I think that's where he fits best. And, and he hasn't, it hasn't really worked yet for him in, in Portland. And then he just sprained his ankle. I'm sure he'll be fine after a week or so, but uh, yeah, he, he, sometimes you find the exact right spot. And when you're a GM and you're trying to build a team, you got to be really wary of a guy who's spiking in production. Is it because the players, maybe they've grown or whatever, or maybe it's just they're in the right situation. I think Evan Turner was in the right situation in Boston, and now he's getting paid to do something he's not really capable of doing in Portland. So rookies are going to get paid more. The stars are going to get paid more. The middle guys are going to start getting paid less. So there's a little bit more balance here. The net effect for a team now trying to build, in your opinion, does this new collective bargaining agreement, as you understand it so far, understanding that things will change as specifics get hammered out, does this change the way teams are more likely to build are are they they're less likely to lure free agents and they free agents rarely move anyway this makes the trading as we talked about the the non-guaranteed contracts not going to be able to be traded the way they were so a lot of the filler that made deals work is going away we don't know yet how creative teams are going to get the Mike Zarens of the world and the you know Danny Ainge's the the guys who are way too smart and will look at this deal and say oh here are the weak spots, but it does seem like it will change how teams are able to build. Danny Ainge has built a lot of these teams. His la- his one championship in Boston was built through trades. The tr- what's this is a long way for me to get to this question. What do you think? is going to end up happening. Are trades going to be still the way to go, or is there going to be a much more emphasis on drafting well with the way these numbers are all working out? Well, you go market by market, right? And some markets, like Joe Johnson is probably the biggest name free agent that, that Utah has signed in a decade or more, right? I mean, they, they just, free agents don't go there. Uh, and so there are some teams that are always going to build through the draft and trade. And that's how Utah did it, right? They, they drafted Darren Williams and they, they managed to luck into Carlos Boozer at the time because of a complication of the rules and they had a nice playoff run. And then from there they traded, they got out of Darren's contract right at the right time when he was peaking right before he fell off and had injuries and whatnot. And they got Derek favors, et cetera, et cetera. But their, their success right now, Gordon Hayward in the draft, uh, um, Derek favors via trade. And then George Hill via trade. And so you, you divorce Diaz via trade and you start going down the list and then, you know, wisely drafting Gobert late in the first. So there are some teams that I think they represent the model that some of the bigger teams are going to have to start to follow. You've got to draft well, uh, whether these players develop into something special or not for you, they become assets to trade. And so that's, that's in the case of Darren Williams, you have to know when to get out and, and, to give credit to the Celtics, they got out of the KG Paul Pierce Ray Allen business uh, or Ray left, but they got out of that business earlier than say the Lakers. They both peaked at the same time. They both played each other in the finals twice, but the Lakers stuck with Kobe longer and the Celtics rebuilt earlier. They ended up with a lot more assets, although the Lakers tanked much harder and had a much worse of a run. (laughs) They've actually got that. You can argue as far as on, on the court, you know, on the roster, maybe the Lakers might have the edge because the Lakers, Lakers have two number two picks. They have number seven and, you know, it's, it becomes a question of what you think of Marcus Smart and, and, and Jalen Brown and you start comparing piece by piece. But the Celtics still have their, their picks, right? They have the, the swap with Brooklyn and they have Brooklyn again. So they've done a really tremendous job of building assets where the Celtics have tr- struggled and this is, this is just reality. It's hard to get a team to trade a great player. It doesn't matter what kind of assets you have. And I think if the Celtics had gotten the number two pick this year and got Brandon Ingram, they probably would have had the assets to trade versus number three. There was sort of a little gap there. So they haven't had 
the ultimate luck in cashing out, but they got Al Horford, which is a huge score uh, via free agency. So it, it's the, the, long, the short answer is that there's no real set path for any team because like in the case of Blake Griffin, you know, we could say these are, there's all these rules that are going to help players stay, but he's going to fall through the cracks probably because he's hurt right now and doesn't go to an all NBA team. And if he goes to an all NBA team, he probably sticks on a max designated veteran except, uh, uh, extension but that probably doesn't happen now because he probably doesn't qualify. So maybe he falls through the cracks. And so if, if you're lucky and you're in the right place at the right time, maybe you go ahead and, and he joins you as a free agent or maybe not. Maybe it's just best to keep those Brooklyn picks and, and find those, those talent. And, and there's some analysis out there that says the absolute best way to build is via the kids, via the draft. You look at uh, historically like Tim Duncan, you look at, uh, LeBron James, even though he didn't win his first time in Cleveland, uh, hitting pay dirt in the, in the lottery. And it's so hard. That's the problem. You get one shot at it. You get a kid. You never know if they're going to be healthy, if they're going to work hard, they're going to develop. So there's no, it's the, the league has made it really hard, but you know, when it comes to trades, they're still going to make trades. They're just going to have to figure out how to do it. So if those guaranteed contracts, non-guaranteed contracts go away, well, what it, th- th- this is a relatively new thing. The use of non-guaranteed contracts. What, it, what was the, the key word back then, you know, handful of years ago or eight years ago or seven years ago, what did everyone talk about? Expiring contracts, right? That was, that was the currency. So the Lakers don't get Pau Gasol if they don't have a 9 million expiring contract with Kwame Brown. So I think there still will be trades. It's just the value of an expiring contract is now going to go back on the rise. Whereas now it's like, yeah, expiring contract. Nice. I've got a contract that's non-guaranteed. You trade for this $9 million guy, you owe him 250,000 and we cut him. Well, that's the 250,000 expiring contract. That's a lot better than having to pay 9 million, but teams are now allowed to pay each other $5 million in a, in total on the season, 5.1. So there's a little bit more cash in the system. Maybe that can help teams take on expiring contracts. So it's the trades are still going to happen. It will restrict it a little, maybe even a lot initially, but over time teams are clever and they find loopholes and they find what works. And I think expiring contracts are probably going to be, uh, you put some stock into expiring contracts. So does that mean some of these mid-level guys are going to start getting shorter deals as well? Well, it, it depends on the market, right? So if you've got two teams fighting for a guy at 8.5 and the team has cap, uh, the team wants to keep him and they're offering 10, then it becomes a question of, well, this guy's offering me three years and this guy's offering me four and this guy's offering me, this, this, I can take five to stay or whatever it is. You start going down the, the path of the best offer. I mean, did the Lakers, for instance, yeah, I, I don't kill them for the the dollar value of what they paid Mozgov and dang, it didn't mean anything because the money didn't mean anything this year. In the first year, the money meant nothing uh, because of how things were. They had to spend it. It's years three and four that, I mean, you could even argue with Mozgov, two years is not a bad deal for him. And so if you're going to pay someone two years and they're value, valuable for two years, paying them a third year to get the value for two is probably an acceptable thing. Whereas, yeah, and, and the Lakers have no real center other than a kid, um, Zubats, who's not ready to play quite yet. So they filled a position of need. They, the problem is they're paying him for four years, whereas dang, you're getting a guy who you really only need to start for a year because you have Brandon Ingram waiting in the wings. So if you pay him for two years, that's acceptable. You needed him one, you paid him two, but now you're paying him four. That's, that's rough. So that's where teams are going to have to figure out the smart teams will make the shorter deals. And, and, and to point to the Celtics, they got Zeller on a two-year deal with a second-year non-guaranteed. I mean, that's pretty pretty darn good, right? And whereas the Lakers paid $4 million for Lul Deng, who's over 30 and, and not really productive at this point. If you watch him in Miami, he did some good things at power forward. But there's no way in, at all that he's a small forward anymore in this league. He's just not quick enough anymore. He, I think uh, Tom Thibodeau burnt out his legs. <laughs> that's that's a Tom Thibodeau thing to do. Um, let so, what am I missing? What's is there a provision here that will be of significant importance to the NBA that I I have not touched on? I, I mean, there's so many little details. It's really hard to say which is going to be the one that makes the difference. There's more cash in trade. I don't know if that help, helps 
there's uh, differences in timings. There's uh, obviously the non-guarantee thing. To me, the most significant thing is the non-guarantee because that changes how trades work, changes the currency. So it's going to mean that when teams are signing strategic contracts with the idea that I'll sign this player to trade them, uh, they're going to have to do it the right way. They're going to have to make sure they have pieces that will fit what they're trying to do. Uh, but there's still going to be players, you know, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, if he qualifies for this designated veteran exception, extension, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, they probably pay it, but should they? And, man, could you imagine them doubling down on, on Boogie Cousins when they've been a disaster with Boogie Cousins? And some of that is the King's fault. I mean, you know, some would say all of it is. Some would say some of it is all on Boogie, that he's just not the guy that he's a great basketball player, but not a leader. So that what's, what's great is that everything is, these are all human beings. They're individuals. Uh, it's easy for fans and people who hit me up on Twitter and say, Hey, is this a legal move? Or these are people, you know, like for instance, Sixers fans say, there's no way that the, the Sixers should get rid of Noel. They should just resign him and make, figure it out. And it's like, yeah, but the guy is absolutely miserable. So he's a human being. And, you can say he should suck it up. That's nice. You could you could say that. I have kids. You try to tell them to suck it up. It just doesn't work that way. You can't just tell your kids to suck it up. These are young men and they're adults, but telling them to suck it up isn't going to work. So there's a there are human elements in all of this. Uh, there's a lot to figure out. You have to find the right kids. You have to find the right. You have to hoard as many assets as you can, which is something the Celtics have done. But you have to get lucky, and, and obviously the year they got lucky, they got super lucky. And I never thought that that was going to happen, that it was going to go down how it did where they got Ray and, and KG, but props to them, and they, they had a great run with that team. It was lightning in a bottle. It's hard to catch it twice. Well, we're certainly trying. Uh, one, one more thing i just kind of curious is, do you think that with all of these mechanisms that draft picks will become more valuable in trades? Well, if you take the argument that we sort of touched on is that it's really hard to get someone in free agency. It's really hard to find uh, a player in trade because you're relying on another team. And the only area that you have some level of control, and, and even that's limited, is in the draft. Well, if that's the case, and if you draft that player, you can keep them if they're really good for a really long time, not just one contract, but potentially even two contracts. And you have all the – it's all – I mean – all that, all that speaks to, yeah, those draft picks become more valuable, especially for teams and markets that aren't destination markets uh, that don't attract free agents. And there are some of them. I mean, I, Golden State didn't attract free agents. Now they're attracting free agents. So it's not, always, it's not just the city. It's a big market. They just were terrible for so long that they couldn't attract free agents. So, and the Kings were, were when they had you know the Chris Webber era, they were able to bring in guys too. So players wanted to play with the Kings because they were a lot of fun. So it's, it fluctuates, but drafting players and finding those players, that's where you need to spend your resources. That's where you need to really have the best scouts. That's where you need to have as best as you can, the best analytics to understand what those players are doing in college and how likely is it as best as you can measure via numbers, which are limited in and of itself to a degree. Can you make sure you're getting the right guy? But again, they're human beings and you don't know, what that's going to be. So, yeah, I think that the currency of draft picks uh, is going up because all these other areas are going down. So there has to be something that everything equals out in the end. So, if, you know, there's got to be a way and the ways in the draft. And typically, if you, if you go by the draft, usually it's a lottery. It's very rare to find a Kawhi Leonard or a Marcus Gasol in the second round or a Draymond Green. It's uh, it's 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 really – you're unlikely to find someone in the D league. You know, it's, 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 it's tough going. It is really hard to find a top five or top 10 player. And ba basketball is a sport where if you have the best player, you're more likely to win more often than not. Now it's not a, you can't win with one player. And we've seen it certainly helps to have two or three of the best players in the game or among the best players in the game. Uh, and that's what the Celtics did. That's what the Lakers did with Powell and Kobe. That's what the Warriors are doing now. And that's what the Cavs are doing with, with Kyrie and, and LeBron. But we can name maybe 20, 30 players. After you get through about 25 players, 15 players, maybe 50 players, if you are really generous, how many impactful players are there that really 
make you a great team that's going to win in the playoffs, that's going to make you not just a second-round team. It's hard to find. So, yeah, if you can find that player in the draft and keep them for 10, 10 12 years, 13 years maybe, that's pretty special. It's almost as if you're telling me that it is very difficult to build a championship team in the NBA. Yeah, well, how many are there, right? <laughs> I mean, it's basically the Spurs and the Lakers and the Celtics and the Heat and the the Cavs and the Warriors. I mean, it, for a while there, it was just any team that had Kobe or LeBron on it, right? Yeah. Or Tim Duncan, right? It was Or Shaq, right? You go back far enough, or Michael, or magic you start going back yep. or bird right you, you go down i mean you can go and, and actually count out the number of teams and superstars you have yeah you have your detroit pistons right they won not i'm not talking about the isaiah thomas because he was one of the best players in the league at that point I'm talking about the chauncey billups pistons it happens right it just doesn't happen often usually right. you win that because you have the best player and as we established how do you get that best player Either they come into the league and they're not that that right away and they blossom into it, or you got them in the draft, or you get them like the Lakers did via trade in the draft, uh, and, and you you find a home and they have a great, healthy, successful career. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Well, this has been a, a very long discussion. I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but we'll wait to see what the rest of the terms are. We'll try to digest the information that we have. Eric Pincus, thank you very much for uh, for joining joining us on the show and explaining it and, and trying to get to the heart of the important things here. I know, you, again, you've done a lot of fantastic reporting on BasketballInsiders.com on this, and I look forward to more from you down the line. Thanks for, for, uh, for coming on the show. Of course, anytime. There's nothing I would like more than to see the Celtics and the Lakers or, heck, even the Clippers, you know, in the finals. I'm in L.A., we, I had a good time, you know, covering those teams in the finals. Love to see that happen again in time. It, it might be a little bit, but, uh, you know, it could happen again soon. It's sort of an NBA tradition. It's just a little bit of a ways away, I think. Who are we to break tradition? Let's do it again sometime soon. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 10 select styles only. Okay, let's try to sum this up. My takeaway from this is that the big-time free agents are even less likely to go somewhere. They were always very unlikely to leave. They don't leave very often. Kevin Durant was the exception. Al Horford, not as big a star, uh, a bit of an exception. But things like Durant, that's something that happened because of the way the cap spiked and just things worked. But as you heard... Eric say if the rules that were in place that are going to be in place were in place last summer Durant would probably still be with the Thunder and I think that is one of the goals of this new collective bargaining agreement so big time free agents are probably going to stay with their teams there might be a chance to lure a a Blake Griffin uh, out but that is a special case where he's gotten hurt and he's not qualifying for something that he would have qualified for, kind of like what Anthony Davis went through, where he didn't qualify for a certain level. Uh, he was under the Rose Rule, which would have given him an extra, what is it, $20 million that he missed out on. Anyway, the point is, these guys are even less likely to leave. For Danny Ainge, the non-guaranteed contract was a favorite thing of his, as I said in the interview. That is something that we're going to have to look forward to and see what how will that change the way trades are handled. Now, as Eric said, more money is allowed to go out in these trades, and that's going to be a big deal. That helps. It's not something when we're talking about matching salaries. If you trade right now uh, a for a guy who's making $20 million, you, under most circumstances, let's oversimplify this a little bit, have to match within a certain percentage that $20 million. So what you used to be able to do was send out a $10 million guy and a couple of guys who made $10 million with non-guarantees 
and that would would work. Now those guys, some of that guaranteed money won't count going out. So what you do is you can send cash to compensate a team. So they will have to pay guys the money, but you can send more cash. That does not count towards the matching, but that helps smooth things over. And as we were just talking about, if the value of the draft pick goes up, then the salary, which still is guaranteed now, as opposed to the non-guarantee, if that goes out and you've given a team more cash to, say, lessen the blow, and that draft pick is there where uh, one draft pick might do the trick where before it was two draft picks, then you might be able to swing deals that way. And why draft picks would be more valuable is you can give those draft picks the the big extension under the new deal within the first four years. So if you trade for that pick and it you know it's going to be a top three, top four, top five pick, like if you got the 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 Nets pick and you knew that in a deep draft you're going to get a good player, that could be something that as the receiving team you say, I know I'm going to get a star and I know I can give that star a big extension earlier on and so on and so forth. You're much more likely to keep that person if he is a star then that gives the dra- the draft pick more value. So that's my take, and I, I hope that that's right. But uh, that was a lot. I know we got a little bit technical, and I hope that uh, this explains a little bit of what's going on and at the very least shows you the level of intelligence that is necessary to run an NBA franchise and find the loopholes in these rules. And the Celtics front office is very good at finding loopholes in these rules to make the deals uh, work, to make uh, structure contracts that work within the framework that are beneficial to the team as well as the player, that is makes players attractive, that makes the Celtics attractive. So, whew, there was a lot there. There was a lot. But uh, I want to thank Eric for joining us. Again, fabulous reporting. He's got the inside scoop on this. There's a lot to digest, and he's doing it for us. Check out his stuff on basketballinsiders.com. You should also follow him on Twitter, at Eric Pincus, P-I-N-C-U-S. If you haven't done that yet, you should, because he's got a lot of great information when it comes to the cap. Uh, In his Basketball Insider page, he maintains – the Celtics salary structure and information. That's something that I use very, very often. It gives you a very in-depth breakdown of who's making what, what the guarantees are, what the cap holds are. It explains everything. So Eric Pincus is the guy to follow uh, when it comes to this stuff. So thank you, Eric, for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing if you do so. Uh, if you don't, please do. Search for Locked On Celtics. Everywhere podcasts are available, you will find us. Subscribe us. Rate us five stars, uh, please, because that increases our visibility. It makes us more likely to be found. And as Millie's says in the intro, you probably should pay us, but it's a freebie. It's a freebie for you. But the more people that listen, the more ads that people hear, the more money we get. So by rating us five stars and subscribing and telling your friends and telling everybody about the show, that's really a form of payment. So we appreciate that very, very much. And thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We are here every Monday through Friday for you to give you inside information, things like this to help you understand. And when these idiot local radio guys come up with bad ideas for trades you thanks to podcasts like this and people like eric pinkins can say no that's a dumb idea that does not work within the framework of the nba so i learned a bunch today i hope you did too thank you for listening this has been the locked on celtics podcast here on the locked on podcast network
Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.